All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Fieldstone. If we've never met, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at Fieldstone. And uh, kicking things off a little bit different this morning, we're, we're launching a new series today that's going to take the next two or three weeks. And I thought it'd be um, really good as I've gotten to know my friend John here. I think his story um, can go a long way in kind of introducing where we're going um, and really set the tone for our response uh, to the topic that we're going to be discussing. So uh, this is John. I don't know if you know John. John's been coming uh, just over a year or so, uh, right, to, to Fieldstone. Yeah. So, John, let's start by just kind of letting everybody hear a little bit about you. Uh, how old are you? I'm 40. 40, okay. That's pretty old, John. Yeah. I uh, and I, I always remind John, he's a few years older than me. He will always be old before I'm old. So. I'm not a few years, I'm a few months. Only a few months. That counts, though. That counts. Those are a few very important months. Um, and then he reminds me to respect his elders. So uh, that's where that all plays. And John, you live right here in Milan? Yeah. Yep. You live on your own or with family or who, who do you live with these with days? With Okay. Cool. Is his, John, is his mic coming through okay? All right. Cool. They can hear you. Sweet. Um, tell us, uh, are you single, married, dating? What, what's your relationship status? I'm married to my wife, Kim. Married to your wife, Kim, over there. Awesome. I think we have a picture of John and Kim together. They are. Awesome. Kim lives in Livonia and joins us down here every once in a while. She's faithful on the YouTube live stream, so she's always on there watching. Uh, and Kim lives with uh, cerebral palsy, and so uh, her and John have uh, made a pretty amazing connection. How, how did you guys meet originally, John? Christian Mingle. Christian Mingle? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Way to go, man. That's pretty awesome. Um, well, we're excited to have you up here and a, and a chance I, to share. What, what do you I, got? I um. We we met when I was at work. Yeah. Was, uh, supposed to be working, but I was on my phone. We we sounds met, like a teenager, John. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was thirty-four, um, and um, we we talked from about eight thirty in the morning to till. 11.30 at night. Uh. Okay, a productive day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I tell you what, we've all done some crazy things for our women, though, haven't we, John? Uh, yeah. So you're, you're in safe company for sure. Um, well, we wanted to start off because, uh, you know, just this conversation on its own brings up a pretty uh, common question as you're sitting out there. And so we wanted to address it head on. The question becomes, well, why does John talk like that? So, John, tell these guys, what, what have you been through that's kind of uh, the, the crux of our story here? Well, <clears throat> well, I was in a car accident um, December 11th, 2000, on the way to work. Um, and in between Monroe and Dundee, on M50, um, <clears throat> my friend was driving my car. And it, because of snow and ice, we never made it to work. Um, I, I died in the accident, but God let me live. And um, I was um, put in, I was taken to the hospital. And um, I don't know if it was that day or, or when it was. But I was put in a medically induced a coma 
and I was in a coma for six weeks and in the hospital a day of the accident, December 11th to May 18th. Yeah, and that's affected uh, your immediate memory at the time, yeah. even short-term memory now. Yeah. Um, and kind of an interesting thing in talking with John, an interesting thing that he shared is when he's talking, um, he hears his voice as uh, the same as it was as before the accident. So same speed, same sound. Now he says it's gotten a little deeper as he's gotten older, um, but just kind of one of those interesting things that comes with his, yeah. uh, uh, you call it TBI, traumatic yeah. brain injury. Yeah. Um, when it comes to that. So just kind of an interesting little tidbit. So, so John, tell us, because, yeah, go ahead. Well, um, I, I came up with a new definition for TBI. Um, it stands for tra traumatic brain injury, but I, I put it as true biblical instructions. Hmm. Yeah, and that leads into... True Bible instruction. That's really good. You've never said that to me before, but that's oh, brilliant. Yeah. Way to go. Um, that's really good. So that leads into what we wanted to talk about because that accident, not only was it, uh, has it created a turning point in your life physically and mentally, but spiritually as well. So go back to your teen years because it was about, you were about 19 years old, j just uh, shy of 19. Ten, 10 days before. Yep, um, and that's had a, a big impact. So tell us about your life before the accident? Because you grew up in and around church, right? Yeah, but you weren't was, necessarily living that yeah. way. I was in church um, all my life up till about 15, 15 till um, the accident. I was off and on all because of the license. Um, and um, I was... Involved with drinking and drugs and partying um, <clears throat> and just a lot of illegal stuff and um, and I knew something was gonna happen. I knew something had to you just headed in that kind of direction yeah yeah um I don't know if I told you this, Justin, but I remember um, I'd be driving around before the accident. I was high hmm. or something, and I was driving on the back roads thinking of ending my life. Hmm. And obviously, I didn't do it because... God came and told me not to, but um, I, um, because I thought it, it wouldn't work and yeah. I'd be messed up for the, the rest of my life. Hmm. And then a little later, I was in my accident and still I ended up messed up <laughs> for life. So... <laughs> So I don't know, you know. Yeah, but, oh, totally. But anyways. But you were basically making every wrong decision. Yeah. Um, walking away from God, um, even to the point where you, you have mentioned before that uh, while you were in your coma, the police showed up to serve an arrest warrant yeah. and discovered that you were had been in the accident and they decided just to drop it. So yeah. you, had, you had kind of gotten in yourself into some trouble 
um, before your 19th birthday there. Um, but you're but you're sitting here now talking about your walk with Jesus. So what what's been different? How, how what's your relationship with God like now? Um, I uh, um, am involved in um, two Bible studies. Well, three um, actually. One with Harold Landry and um, one by my um, self. Um, one that you lead, uh, right? Yeah, one that I lead. At the Owl, everybody is invited. Um, on Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock um, at the Owl. And I also go to one on Saturday mornings at the Baptist Church, Milan Baptist. Um, but yeah, so you yeah, love we'll to study scripture. We'll, I know you're, yeah, you're. We'll leave that alone. <laughs> that's that's fine. It's a it's a great church. Um, so, uh, but, but but I mean, you love to study scripture. I know you you know you're always posting on your Facebook page, and you have a, a Facebook page for traumatic brain injury yeah. survivors, where you post a lot of encouragement and scripture uh, for I, those I, who. I started. I started. Uh, Facebook page, um, I think, Christian, Christian TBI survivors, I think. I I don't remember what it's called. That's what it's Somebody. called. You nailed it. Okay. Yeah, okay. you got it. Thank but one you. of the other things is that I've personally been inspired by John is just his boldness in sharing his faith. Yeah. Um, you're at the owl quite a bit and find ways to talk to people and, and share them. And I know, I think you said before, you've gotten kicked out of Facebook groups because you're, yeah, you're too yeah, regularly uh, yeah. talking about Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, may we all have that problem, right? Uh, some of us get kicked out of Facebook groups for posting about dumb stuff, and you're uh -huh. in there posting about Jesus, yeah. so you're putting us to shame. Um, but one of the interesting things that John has opportunities to do, just to kind of uh, show you what, what kind of uh, opportunities he has, so John, at the end of May, uh, goes to a couple different camps. One of them is a brain injury camp, and one of them is up at Camp Barakel. Yeah. Um, talk about that and some of the opportunities that you get when you're um, at those every year. At the brain injury camp, the Sunday before Memorial Day, it's not Christian camp, but they, they have church for people that want to go, and I preach the message there, and we also have communion um, up there too. And then I I come home <clears throat> that Saturday and then I'm home till Tuesday and then I go to Camp Barrykill. Um, and that that's cool because it's a Christian camp. I hear the, well, I get the fellowship with other Christians and um, Bible studies and all that stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, so they actually call you Pastor John at and, the Secular Traumatic yeah. Brain Injury Camp, yeah. which is which is yeah. pretty awesome. So that just yeah. kind of gives you an idea of how, how courageous and bold that, that John is in, in those opportunities. But John, the interesting thing about his story is the accident isn't the only thing that's in his past that he could that he could be frustrated about or angry about, right? So John experienced abuse as a child. Um, lost his mom to cancer just a few months before the accident, um, experienced the accident. Um, after he came out of his coma, 
he had lost his memory of his mother's passing and so had to relearn of that and remourn uh, her loss all over again. Lost your aunt to cancer just a, a few years ago. Um, and now, of course, you, you live the rest of your life with the, the impact of the TBI. So, John, you I, have... I, go I ahead. Lo- I lost my aunt exactly almost 20 years um, exactly hmm. from my mom. Um, my mom died September 26, September 26, 2000. And my aunt died September 24th, 2020. Hmm. And um, the other weird thing is um, I, I, um, um, I, I, um, the guy that was driving my car in my car accident his birthday is the day my mom died. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? And yeah, goodness? a lot of things yeah. tying it all together. Yeah. But John, I, I, I think about your story and some of the things that you've been through, and I got to think of all the people in this room, you probably have a lot of reasons to hate God if you would choose to, but you've chosen to love him instead. Uh, why is that? What, what is it about your relationship with Jesus that makes it so important to you, even with all of the, the difficulty in your past? Probably because um, of this statue right there. It's a tattoo of Jesus on the cross. Ultimate sacrifice, huh? Yeah. Yeah. A couple quotes that uh, I got from John as we were kind of prepping for this conversation. First one, when it comes to Jesus, I've put my faith in him. And he's the only way anyone can get through anything. And he said, as much as I hate my TBI, it's given me opportunities to be in Christ and share Christ. And I think, uh, you know, in talking with John, it's hard to live with the effects of his injuries. And yet it became the ultimate turning point in his relationship with Jesus. And uh, there's a passage that John asked me to read from Titus chapter 3. It says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Sounds like your teen years, huh, John? Mm-hmm. And it says, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Um, I think John has experienced that. John has lived that. Um, and I appreciate you sharing your, your story with us. What I'd love to do, John, because uh, John's got his camps coming up in, a, in about a month and a half or so. And so similar to when we have missionaries come or if we, if we send out missionaries or, or um, kind of send people into ministry, I'd love to just pray over John and ask God to bless his opportunities that he has coming up over the next few weeks. Is that, is that cool with you? Yeah. Cool. Father, we thank you for John and, and the example of his life. Certainly, you've, you've allowed him to walk a very difficult road, and yet, God, we can kind of start to see some of the pieces of the puzzle coming together where you have used those difficult moments to absolutely transform John's heart and soul. God, we ask that as he gets future opportunities, whether it's at a coffee shop or at home or at a camp, 
that, God, you would help him to speak his heart, help him to share your word, um, and let people see his passion for you in a very clear way and understand what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, thank you for the opportunities that you're going to bring his way. We ask that you protect him, guide him, and uh, may he bear much fruit in his ministry. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And see me if you want to hear a funny story about, about Susie Long and me when I was a kid. <laughs> awesome. Can we give John a round of applause, please? So all of the routine in John's life, all of the fun that he was having, all of the regular interaction with friends and family, those things were done. They were never going to be the same. All of, the, all of any thoughts he had of work, the type of family he might have, the type of traveling he might do, the type of hobbies he might take part in, those things were forever altered in that one moment. And some of you Maybe not to the same degree, maybe not with the same physical effects. Some of you have been there. Some of you are maybe there now. You've received that phone call that changed everything. That one moment, that one conversation, that decision that you made, that decision that was made for you. Maybe it was with, maybe it was family related. Maybe it was something relating to your marriage, maybe your parents. Maybe it was something to do with work. Maybe it was something to do with school. But whatever it was, a significant part of your life was forever changed. And maybe you went from a season of optimism and certainty all, all of a sudden transformed into a season of fear and uncertainty. And in those seasons, the, the common question, the very natural questions that come up, right, the things that we all question, especially if we're people making any effort to follow Jesus, right, these questions that come up in the midst of it all, where is God? Does he even see? Does he even care what I'm walking through right now? I know life happens, but honestly, why, why now? Why this? Why me? Why us? Why are these things happening? This, this God that I've trusted before, can I still trust him now? And obviously, uncertainty is nothing new, right? There are, there are seasons where it's maybe more uncertain than others. There are seasons where the uncertainty is more extreme or more painful than others. But I can't help but think of the song that many of us grew up singing, he's got the whole world in his hands. And we find ourselves saying, okay, that's fantastic. I'm glad he's got the whole world in his hands. But what about my world? What about the things I'm going through? And over the next few weeks, we're just going to take an opportunity to talk about some of these difficult things that God allows us and even asks us to walk through and how we can possibly see him moving. Is he still active? Where can I experience hope? How do I experience peace in the midst of some of those dark experiences? And so that's where we're going to kick things off today in, in the few minutes that we have left. So Mark 14 is where we're going to land this morning, just in our short time. And I know that we've, uh, as, you, as we read this passage, you're going to say, like, Man, Justin, this sounds like an Easter passage. This sounds like a Palm Sunday passage. It is, but it's okay. We can still read it even though it's not Easter. We've got to hit it for one more week uh, because in this passage is one of the most dramatic moments in human history. It's the moment in the upper room where Jesus is, is uh, serving the Last Supper to his disciples. And they're having uh, many very important conversations. And Jesus is sharing his last thoughts with them 
But the reason they're having this dinner initially is to celebrate the Passover together. And the Passover was an opportunity annually for the Jewish people to celebrate the day that God delivered them out of slavery to the Egyptians. Right? He, he sent Moses along. And what they discovered was after 400 years of praying and pleading and wondering if God was still there, wondering if God cared what they were experiencing, God showed up, sent Moses, and delivered them out of Egypt And all of a sudden, they found out that God does answer prayers. God is listening. God is faithful. And so 1,400 years later, Jesus and his disciples are gathered in this room celebrating that dinner. And yet things are once again becoming very uncertain for Jesus' followers. And they're about to get even more uncertain. So Jesus, kind of his ministry arc, he spent about 30 years in, in relative anonymity, but then three years that were nothing short of miraculous Miraculous healings, miraculously powerful teachings, even raising people from the dead. And now people are starting outside of even the inner circle of those original 12. People are starting to believe. People are starting to follow. There's momentum building. There's energy. But along with that positive momentum, there's some negative attention coming, some pushback coming. And the disciples now know that if things get too out of control, there are individuals who would very willingly end Jesus and end whatever ministry he has on earth. And so the certainty of Jesus' words, the certainty of his actions over that three-year period were very quickly transforming into uncertainty all around them. So we're going to be, uh, let's take a look at Mark chapter 14 real quick as they're gathered in this upper room. Uh, similar verses to what we've read over the last couple weeks around the Easter season, but Mark 14 verse 17 says that when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me, and the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. Now notice over the course of this short conversation, no one asked, wait, wait, what do you mean, hand you over to who? These disciples knew that there was the potential of something happening. They had heard the threats. There was talk around town. Jesus himself had predicted that something was going to happen. And so, so on one side, they're hoping it wouldn't happen, but at the same time, almost just hoping, all right, I hope I'm not the one who blows it in the midst of this, right? I hope I'm not that one. And, and maybe many of them simply stuck wrestling with the uncertainty of what was going on and all of the emotions that come along with that uncertainty. Now, an important thing to keep in mind as we, as we see this situation unfold and we think about John's story and all the different things that we read in Scripture, most of what we find in Scripture was written in times of extreme uncertainty. This book isn't exactly full of warm, fuzzy stories that nobody can relate to, right? It's not a bunch of rich, healthy people walking around enjoying life, right? There are, there are things in this book. Most of this book was written in the midst of uncertainty. God speaking into the uncertainty. God being active in a string of uncertain times. You can go all the way back to a guy like Joseph who had to listen to his brothers debate whether or not to kill him or sell him. Only to get to the end of the story and discover that God had an amazing plan that he was weaving in Joseph's life. You can fast forward from him to King David. And there's lots of examples from his life. Just read through the book of Psalms and you can read about the roller coaster that David experienced in his life. But one, at one point as he was king, he woke up to discover that one of his sons wanted to kill him and steal the throne. Moses' mother, afraid that Egyptian soldiers would come and kill him, packed him in a basket and sent him down the river for what she believed would be out of his life 
forever. Jesus' mother, similar tension, found out about the decree from Herod to kill all the young boys in Bethlehem, had to flee for her life and leave for Egypt. All kinds of uncertainty surrounding these amazing moments in her life. A guy like Paul, who, who as he was converted, God had a big mission for his life. So he's thinking, I'm going to travel the world and do missions work for the rest of my life, but then finds himself in a Roman prison facing execution. But then Paul goes on to write all kinds of different things, and we're going to hit some of it next week explaining how in the world we can respond when God's promises don't seem to be coming true, at least in our limited view of things. So this God, this book, is actually a perfect place to come to in times of uncertainty. It's here in his word that people face uncertainty, and they discover that not only is God not absent, he is fully present, and fully at work accomplishing his plan in the lives of people just like us. And then we have a chance to remember that God is still holding the world, still holding your world in his hands, and we're given a chance to trust him, even when it's hard to see him or hear him or understand the nature of his plan in the moment. Let's continue on, verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. So he's introducing this idea of this dramatic shift in how people come to to experience a relationship with God. It's not by the law. It's by a relationship with him. It's by his broken body and his shed blood that this all happens. So this is a major thing. And we know the end of the story, right? So these verses are huge for us as we celebrate communion at various times and and celebrate Easter and celebrate God's work in our lives. But for the disciples, they're still playing catch-up, right? They don't have all the information. They're not looking back on the situation. Then Jesus goes on to to actually talk about Good Friday and Easter before it happens. Verse 27, he says, You will all fall away, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Think about it. This is the most significant event in human history to the point where we celebrate it and live by it 2,000 years later. It kicked off a worldwide movement where there was freedom and salvation offered by faith in Jesus. This is a major international moment. God is making his move to bring about the restoration of all things, to fix what was broken back in the Garden of Eden. An amazing event, an amazing moment, amazing news, but for the disciples... This was the uncertainty just getting worse. Jesus is apparently going to die. He's going to leave them. One of their best friends is going to help make it happen. And it sounds like all of them are going to bail on Jesus when he needs them the most. And maybe some of them are going to die because they didn't bail. So all of these questions, all this uncertainty, all this darkness in their lives, and in the midst of the brightest moment of hope that the world has ever known, the disciples couldn't see through the darkness to fully understand what was happening in that moment. Because for them, that great story, that great plan was all unfolding in the midst of their greatest uncertainty. Now, eventually, we know the end of the story, right? They were able to come out of the fog. And like so many in Scripture that lived before them, they got to discover and experience the power of God's plan, a plan that he was working out in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the loss 
and the pain and the devastation they were experiencing. And now we, as observers of their experience and observers of all of the heroes of the faith that we can read about, we have to face the same reality and ask the same questions. In the midst of our uncertainty, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your loss, in the midst of your questions, in the midst of your anxious circumstances, is it possible that God is still active? Is it possible that God is still accomplishing his plan even if there's no obvious sign of it yet? Is it possible that God is still active in the world, active in your world, even when everything seems to be moving backwards, even if things seem to be getting darker, even if if things seem to be becoming more uncertain in your life? Is it possible that God is still active? I think if we could bring the disciples up here and interview them and ask them two questions. I think if we could ask them, when did things seem the darkest? When did things seem most uncertain? When were you most frightened? When were you most at unease? And when did God accomplish his greatest work? I believe the answer would be the same for both questions. That moment in the upper room, that moment that for them kicked off two and a half days of total despair, but was also the culmination of God's plan to save the world. Even when life is uncertain, God is working. Even when life is uncertain, God is working. And when we can recognize that God is working, all of a sudden it creates a sense of peace and purpose that wouldn't exist otherwise. Now, does that mean that you're going to end up with the job you want every time? Does that mean that all the bills are paid every time? Does that mean that your provision for retirement is set? Does that mean your marriage is fixed? Does that mean your kids are back on the right track? No, this isn't a magic wand. But in the midst of it, in the midst of the uncertainty that we're allowed to live through, it allows us to maintain hope and faith while we wait. All of a sudden, we can sleep at night knowing that he hasn't abandoned us. It can motivate you to keep your eye out for his intervention when it comes. It can keep you from taking little steps in the wrong direction as we're navigating those dark periods. And it can protect us from the pain of despair, knowing that even if we don't see it, even if we don't understand it, even if we don't under, understand the full big picture yet, God is working. Even when life is uncertain, God is still at work. We'll hit that a little bit more in the next couple weeks, but let me pray for you. Father, we love you, and we thank you, of course, for a, a beautiful Sunday morning. But God, thanks for this opportunity to gather. Thanks for the, the chance to lift our voices to you, to sing truthful lyrics to you. God, thanks for John and his story. God, it's been a difficult 20 years, and yet we can look back and see you working in his life, transforming his heart one day at a time, changing him from someone pursuing his own life and his own purposes to someone who can't wait to tell people about you and your purposes and what you offer in a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, at various seasons, you've asked each one of us, maybe even today, to walk through some dark times. You ask us to live a life with questions. You ask us to live through seasons of uncertainty. God, maybe even on this side of eternity, we don't get the questions answered that we're looking for. We don't get the results that we're looking for. But God, thank you for your promise that even in the midst of those moments, 
not only are you close enough to care about what we're going through, but you're big enough to carry all of it. May we lean on that, trust in that, and experience the peace and the hope that comes along with that. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you next week.